you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Oh yeah, welcome to the Huddle and Flow podcast. Here we like to call it the after set, the party after the party. This is Steve White. I'm joined by my fellow Howard University Bison, Jim Trotter. Jim, it is episode one. We are in the house. Bro, I'm feeling it. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. It's game day. Let's get this. Let's get this. Hey, Jim, we're both in Southern California, and it was like Ghana hot over the past two days, man. Steve, when I saw up in L.A., 121, 121 degrees. Yeah, yeah no. I mean, that that's I don't even have words for that, you know. And I what saw was it like tweet in, how about, hot did it get in San Diego. Well, the hottest it got in my home was 103. But I related to your tweet where you talked about not having air conditioning, because when we moved into our place back in 2000, we never got air conditioning because we said, ah, we're close enough to the beach that we get that coastal breeze. And there might be one week at most two out of the year where you feel like you need air conditioning. And I'm telling you, every year it gets worse to where I'm seriously thinking about making the plunge and getting some AC going forward, man. Because this, I ain't used to dealing with 103 degrees down here in San no. Diego. No, it was it was 103 where I live. I'm up in the, uh, the Baldwin Hills View Park area of L.A., otherwise known as the BBH. <laughs> and so we got like an airplane airplane propeller size ceiling fan put in last week because it was hot as hell, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. But this was no joke. So, you know, my wife is from Jamaica. So we were like, no, no, we're going to get we're going to get she was she wasn't having it either. So, you know, we were so, you know, we're going to get an AC unit at least put in the bedroom uh, to make it to make it happen. Hey, hey, Jim, you know, I was thinking something the other day when, you know, sitting around we're we're both Howard grads, proud Howard grads. You you finished in 86, right when I came in. And it's funny, we've got five kids between us and not one of them went to Howard. 
Nah, Steve, I'm gonna tell you, I, I tried. I fought the good fight. You know, I even tried to get uh, my oldest to go to Spelman. I, I really wanted him to have that HBCU experience. But it's something about growing up in California. Mine did not want to leave the state. And they both stayed in state, um, including the oldest for her master's. So, you know, you can't explain to them what they're missing. It's something I think that, that you have to experience. If I had to do it over again, I think the key would have been to get them on campus for a visit. Right. And if that had happened, then I think the odds may have swung in my favor. But no, you're, you're right. It's one of my failures as a dad is that I didn't get them to an HBCU or to Howard specifically. See, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I was just like, man, you know, I look I look back, you know, I've got, you know, one time I went to culinary school, my oldest, my middle son, he graduated from University of Hawaii. So I told you my wife's Jamaican, so he's an island guy. Anyway, um, and our youngest nice. son goes, he's, he's finishing school up in Northern California, but virtually from, from home now. I'm like, man, you know, what they really could have benefited uh, just kind of seeing. So our producer, Thomas Warren, the third <laughs> Howard graduate on this podcast, he's got a little boy. We got to make sure Thomas, we got to, we got to get a scholarship now. something. Yeah. We got to dump, mm-hmm. we got to start funding that, that, that go to Howard fund. Um, there you go. Yep. And last thing before we get rolling here, I got to give a quick shout out. You know, I spent a good part of my life in St. Louis. The only team I cheer for in athletics, the St. Louis Cardinals. R.I.P. to the late, great Lou Brock. Um, I moved to St. Louis to Minneapolis in 1974. That is when he broke Maury Will's stolen base record. It was at 104. Lou Brock ends with 118. Um, The Hall of Famer, Jim, he went to Southern. Um, Just one of the great baseball players of all time. So R.I.P. He uh, he went to go to go meet meet his maker, meet his savior at 81 years old. So he lived a good life. Yeah, rest in power to that uh, to Lou. He was he was special. And uh, me growing up in the Bay Area, you know, I really learned a lot about him when Ricky Henderson was chasing that record, and there was a lot of conversation about that stolen base record. So, um, Lou was quite the man. You picked a good one there to idolize. Let's get to the NFL, Jim. So as we head into week one, of course, which opens up Thursday night with the Houston Texans and Kansas City Chiefs, we got some last-minute transactions going down. J.D. Clowney signs with the Tennessee Titans. One year, $12 million. You got to love the fact that the Saints tried to pull an NBA-style sign-and-trade with an anonymous team um, who we're hearing could be the Cleveland Browns. But anyway, he ends up with the Titans. Great signing. And then Leonard Fournette. Uh, as we know, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars are going the route of the Dolphins and clearing the deck of any type of talent that was there before. He gets cut, signs with the Buccaneers. So, Jim, just kind of when, when you look at those two, at least initially, they don't look like full-time starters coming out of the gate. Um, what do you see their roles being? and Who could have the bigger role in the short and long term? Look, I, I think the more important role is for Clowney from this standpoint. I'm not convinced that Tennessee offensively will pick up where it left off a year ago. I think everything came together for them down the stretch last year and including in the playoffs. And so I'm taking the wait and see approach as it relates to that offense and whether or not Derrick Henry can stay healthy and whether or not Ryan Tannehill can continue to build on the season that he had. So for me, defense is going to be critically important for the Texans this season. And now you bring in a clowny to add with um, – Vic um, Beasley in terms of, of trying to pressure quarterbacks. And so I think that Jadavian is going to be much more important 
for his team as opposed to Fournette, who is going to a Bucks team that you know it, with Bruce Arians um, running the show there, they're going to throw the ball and they're going to throw it a lot. And they have a lot of weapons on the perimeter as well as it tied in. And even if Fournette were not to play well, they've got a running back behind him who can step in and do the job. So for me, I think the more critical player here is Clowney with the Titans. You know, I think in the long run, it's actually going to be Fournette. I mean, look in Jacksonville, right. who was in Jacksonville, who was playing nickel defense against the Jags, right? So he he, he was he was getting stacked up. They are not good. They're going to see a lot of single linebacker, six DBs with Brady in there. Even if Fournette's rotating in there with Ronald Jones or Shady McCoy, I think that three point nine yards per carry that Fournette has is is going to be more like a four point five because he's going to be able to hit some runs. Well, Steve, I mean, you look at his career. He's never rushed for 1,200 yards. He's never rushed for double-digit touchdowns. And his best average for a season was 4.3. So, and I agree, and I know he was facing a stacked box at times, but I just believe, knowing what Tom Brady wants to do this year after leaving New England and the statement he wants to make and the weapons that they have in the passing game, uh, I'm going to say to you, I expect Tom Brady to be right there in that conversation for NFL MVP this year. Ooh, a tease. We're going to get to that at some point. We're going to get to that at some point. Okay, Jim, let's go to the other big story heading into week one. We're going to go back and we're going to sample in living color because we're going to call this segment Mo Money, Mo Money, Mo <laughs> Money. Let me run down the money that just came out of owners' pockets. Steelers defensive end Cam Hayward, four years, $71 million. Bill's corner, Jadavious White. Four years, seventy million. Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson, four years, up to one hundred and sixty million. Remember, the Texans already signed Laramie Tunsil, the tackle, three years, sixty-six. Now, the Chiefs—they already extended Patrick Mahomes, ten years, four fifty. Chris Jones, four years, eighty-five million. Tight end Travis Kelsey, four years, fifty-seven million. Your guy Keenan Allen, four-year, eighty million dollar extension. This is after they signed Joey Bosa. To a five-year, $135 million deal. Jim, I thought this was COVID. I, I thought this was an economic downturn. And these owners are taking else to the point where the salary cap could drop $20 million per team. Yet, these teams, all of them playoff contenders, are spending big loot to keep their guys locked up. No, but Steve, it actually is smart business. Because, look, we know that even if the salary cap dips for a year, which it likely will, All those new TV contracts are going to come into play after that, and we know the cap will take a jump. And so you have to plan for that. And one thing we know about the NFL and these contracts, rarely does it get cheaper to wait. And that's why I say a team like Dallas that chose not to get a deal done with Dak Prescott is going to pay for not literally going to pay for waiting to get a multi-year done with Dak. Because if they don't pay him next year, they put him on the franchise tag again, they won't do it in a, in a year three because of the prohibitive cost there. So to me, the smart thing was to get your deals done now, which smart clubs did. And unfortunately for Dallas, I think they are going to, to, to have some negative consequences because of this going forward. So it was smart to get these guys paid now. Yeah, and you look at Mahomes, Tredavious White, some guys like that structured their deals so they're not going to cripple the team up against the cap Correct. next year, and they allow them to sign other players. Well, speaking of the Texans and Deshaun Watson, they open up against Kansas City, their nemesis. So we've got Deshaun against Mahomes. 
And, and Jim, I, I can't think of a more exciting way to open the season. It's, again, it's a shame there's not going to be a ton of fans in there, but what we're going to see on television should be a great game. What are you just kind of looking, some storylines you're looking for in this game that kicks off uh, weekend one in the NFL? Well, number one, um, we know that they both are, are, are teams that have been together for a while. And so as much as we talk about sloppy play potentially early, I think these two teams will play better than most simply from the standpoint that they have been together. There is cohesion. Um, there weren't changes, significant changes on the coaching staff or the systems, those sorts of things. So I think that that, um, that that will be the first thing. I think this game will be cleaner than a lot of games we will see in week one. The other thing I'm really interested in seeing, too, is how the new pieces fit in. I, I know I said there wasn't much change, but there are a couple of new pieces for the Texans. How does Brandon Cooks fit in? How does David Johnson fit in? Um, when you lose a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, who was everything in that passing game for the Texans, uh, how does Deshaun Watson click with these new pieces? Um, so that's something I'm really looking forward to. And then for the Chiefs, look, they always come out of the gate early in terms of what they do offensively, and I expect that to continue. Uh, so it should be a fun game. Um I think that the Texans thought they had them on the ropes last year in the playoffs when they got up by double digits. <laughs> they did. Yeah, and blew, and blew that one. So we'll see what happens in this one. I expect it to be I expect it to be a fairly close game, expect it to be a fun game, and I expect to see a lot of points. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, the David Johnson thing is real interesting for me with, with Houston because I remember Carlos Hyde, when the Texans beat the Chiefs last year, he, he ran all over me. Carlos Hyde was really giving them the business. Can – they get that out of him because behind him is Duke Johnson, who's kind of a smaller, shiftier back. How's that going to work? And also one thing when I think about this game with the Chiefs, and it just it's going to be hard with all the hype and the ring ceremony and all that, for me not to think about their guard. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it. Laurent Duvarney-Tardif. Right. Okay, remember, he's the player. He's Canadian. Right. He was their starting guard. He opted out for COVID not because he was afraid, but because he's a surgeon. And he said after working on the front lines with doctors this year, he had to stay and, and help people out. I think that's a great storyline. He's a heck of a player that the Chiefs could miss, but that's about the only piece um, that's actually not in place. So, Jim, as, we're, as we're talking you, about – I'll caution you on that too, Steve. I mean, I think Damian Williams opting out as well um, agreed. could be a significant factor. Now, I know they picked up a back in the draft uh, from LSU – but Damian Williams brought something to that offense when he was on his game. So that's another thing that we should watch at this point. Yeah, Damian had a great Super Bowl. So to kick off the, the Huddle and Flow podcast, we were joined before this, this was recorded last week. Okay, this is, this is Washington head coach Ron Rivera. And Jim, I, I think our, uh, our listeners are really going to take a lot from this. So let's get to Rivera, who addresses a lot of things, especially the simmering turmoil that's gone on this summer with that organization. All right, we are joined by Washington football head coach Ron Rivera, a good friend of Jim and I's for several years. Coach, thanks so much for kind of cracking the bottle of champagne on the Hold and Flow podcast boat here, man. This is, you know, you're 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 number one. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for trusting me to to get it started the right way. Uh, we wanted someone who would be honest and frank with us, who could address a lot of issues, and and uh, so we appreciate you coming on, and kicking this off with us. Sure. 
First round, how are you feeling? Yeah, um, I'm actually feeling really good, guys. You, it, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, um, my uh, my cancer diagnosis really was kind of out of left field a little bit, um, just because I, I've been feeling so healthy. I mean, I really have. You know, I had I had a good off season. I had, I had a good summer. You know, we uh, we went out to one of our favorite places out to Lake Tahoe and uh, had an opportunity to spend time with the family and stuff. And and then get back and you know and 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 kind of you know I discovered a lump and. So I went and saw the the team doctor and he said, well, you know, let's keep an eye on it. We kept an eye on it for a week. I went and saw him again and he checked it. He says, you know, I think we need to uh, we need to go a little bit further with this. And, and, and that's how it all got started. And, you know, when, when the diagnosis was given to me, I was angry. I really was um, just not sure why. You know, it, it's just one of those things that happens, unfortunately. And. You know, I've come to grips with it, uh, but more importantly, you know, I, I've got a good team doctors, a good team of specialists, um, you know, a, a good prognosis. And, and with everybody behind me, I, I just feel real comfortable, real confident. And, um, you know, like I've told people, too, with God's grace, we've got this. For me personally, it's, you know, I made the announcement mostly because, you know, people were going to see me at the hospital. And people were, you know, and, and they have and people have recognized me. You know, and and I knew that would happen and I didn't want it to break all of a sudden on the players. So, you know, I wanted to be very confident, very positive with them. And so the thing that's been truly amazing has, has been the people that have reached out to me and, you know, and, and obviously have, have have shared their prayers and thoughts with me. But more importantly, the people that have gone through something very, very similar. I mean, it's amazing how many people have had this form of cancer that have gone through these treatments and that have all, you know, come through on the other side and survived. And, you know, because this is a high, highly treatable, highly curable cancer. But, you know, when you there is something comforting knowing that others have gone through this and ended up on the, you know, on the right side of it. So uh, I, I feel like I said, the prognosis is very positive. So I, I feel strongly going forward because my first thought was, you know, how do I tell the family? How, how do I right. tell my wife and kids? But more importantly, how do I tell my mother? You know, my mom, unfortunately, has already lost, you know, one son to cancer. And um, that was probably the toughest conversation I have ever had to have. Uh, with my mother, um, just because, you know, she doesn't need to go through that again. She really, truly doesn't because, you know, she raised four boys with, you know, while her husband was off in the military and, and traveling, you know, around the world and doing stuff like that. And and so I truly worried about her more than, than anything else because I, I knew my kids would be fine with it. You know, Courtney struggled a little bit, but, you know, once the doctors came in and explained everything and, and explained the, the cure rate, you know, we feel really comfortable, like I said. But, you know, mom, you know, she doesn't deserve to do that. I mean, she, she's, you know, as, as you know, and we all believe in our mothers. She, she truly does not deserve to have to go through this again. How do you break that to her? I did. I, I, I did it by trying to get her, first of all, to understand that, you know, this is a, a highly curable, OK, highly treatable, highly curable form. It's a non-aggressive form. Um, and I gave her the examples of the people that, 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 that I've learned have had gone through this and, 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 you know, and, and going through the treatments, you know, it's 35 treatments, um, over about a two month period and have come out on the other side, you know, and, and, and after their five years, everything's been clear. So, you know, we're, that's what we're working towards. Curious, Ron, you said initially you were angry. What was that anger from? What was it from? Just, just why? You know, the why part of it, I guess, is what really came to me was just the why. Like, I, you know, it, I had a really good off season and summer, all things considered. You know, the whole COVID stuff, all the stuff I dealt with as, uh, as far as the football team was concerned and the organization. Um, but it, it just personally, you know, even though it was COVID, we went back out west and, um, and, and you know, I, I tested so I could go see my parents and spend time with my mom and dad. And, 
and my brothers and stuff like that. And, and, and just to kind of, you know, come back and, and, and then kind of get, you know, get that laid on, on, you know, on my shoulders as well. Just, it just, I, it really tweaked me. It really did. And, and like I said, I've come to grips with it and I feel really comfortable going forward. How long did it take to come to grips to get past that? Uh, I had about 10 days. It really did. You know, I, I just, I really kind of went back and forth on a lot of issues, a lot of things. I just kept trying to figure out why, why. And, and like I said, at the end of the day, it's, it's one of those things that we're just going to go forward. We're, we're going to cope with it. We're going to deal with it. Some people have dealt with much worse. You know, like I said, I've lost a brother to, to cancer. So, you know, and he dealt with, with worse. You know, Chuck Pagano is a guy, you know, we think about yeah. what he went through with the leukemia. Have you heard from Chuck? Yes. Oh, yeah. Chuck, believe me, Chuck was one of the first people I thought of because, you know, we, we have a bunch of mutual friends. And in fact, one of our mutual friends, you know, did reach out. He did talk about his conversations with Chuck. And then Chuck and I have been going back and forth. So, you know, he, he, he's really, you know, one of the epitomes to me because I mean, he went through something much worse. Um, and, and, you know, his faith and, and his, his support system was, was tremendous. And, 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 you know, and that's kind of what we've tried to set up here is, you know, I, we, I got a strong faith and, 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 but I've got a, a great support system as well. So I just feel really comfortable and confident. You made a comment, Ron, that you've got a, your doctor told you, you've got to take care of you at yes. times. Um, what has treatment been like for you and, and how hard has it been for you to take care of you knowing everything that's ahead of you? Well, what happened, Jim, really is is we just finished my last procedure in terms of preparation for treatment. So um, I've just come out of that. It's been the working up to it. Um, and, you know, my last procedure, uh, that was it was a tough one. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it kind of uh, it, it kind of knocked me down a little bit. Um, fortunately, we've been able to schedule everything on the player's day off. So I haven't had to have anything done, you know, while we were still working. And, you know, this next week will be the first time when I've really had to cope with, you know, going with, through something while we're in the middle of preparation. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how things unfold. Is it scary? Yes. Yes, it is. You know, um, and I'll tell you, um, all the doctors I've had, um, all the specialists I've had, everybody has told me, well, that's the person to go to. That's the best person. That's the one you want. You want doing this procedure. You want this is the one that you want doing, you know, your your chemo. This is the one that you want doing your your proton therapy. So, um, you know, I've been very fortunate that way. But the one thing that always happens is they always they always give you you know the way things are gonna you know that, that they plan to map it out, and then they always go. But they always give you the the what ifs. They 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 have to be honest with you and upfront and. It's the honesty that really, you know, you, you sometimes it, it, it you know, I, I, if I didn't have my mask on, they would see me sitting there with my mouth wide open uh, because I sit there and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because like the last procedure, I was prepared for the, the worst outcome. And that was, you know, having to actually have them, you know, remove something. Uh, but fortunately, they found exactly what they were looking for and were able to nip it. And now we're, we're getting ready for, like I said, the, uh, the therapy part of the start. Here, here's a question I have regarding this, because I know you said it's it's in your throat area or whatever. Is there any chance that you could lose your, you know, lose your voice no. for a little bit or you won't be able to? No, thank goodness. <laughs> as a coach, you need your voice. But no, um, that, that's one of the things that, you know, they, they said uh, it's, it's not down by the vocal cords. Thank goodness. It's, um, you know, it's in, a, it's in a spot where, you know, it was able to get it was close enough to the lymph nodes that that's where it got, you know, one of the, it got into the lymph node. Um, this is not lymph node. This is not lymphoma. This is cancer that got into the lymph node, um, and it's just something that you know that that they'll be able to take care of uh, through through uh, proper therapy and treatment. Ron, you, you mentioned with everything you guys are dealing with organizationally, and, and you know this organization has been in the headlines 
now for weeks with the Washington Post stories. Um, and, and just let's let's set aside what we were just talking about in dealing and managing some of the accusations, you know, the, the mm-hmm. sexual misconduct. Um, now that now they said it's an independent investigation yeah. going in. How does that impact what you do on the daily? Well, you know, the, the, the thing about this is this is stemming from something that, that, that happened before I got here. Uh, a lot of these uh, specific allegations happened, I guess it was about, you know, past 10 years ago. Um, and so really what, what I've really had to deal with is trying to get everybody to understand that, hey, those are in the past. Those things happened. Those things truly are egregious. And there are things that we take very seriously here uh, to the point where a couple of things that did happen, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, we reacted quickly. You know, I made a decision to, to move on from a, from a couple of, of, of our former um, employees because of those situations, because those are those are very serious allegations um, that that unfortunately are, you know, that, that are being dealt with right now. But we we wanted to make sure everybody understood that we get it. We understand it. We're, 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 we're apologetic for it. But at the same time, we are going to move forward. And, and, you know, and, and I've been criticized for telling people, hey, don't don't judge us on where we've been. Judge us on where we're going. Judge us on the things that we're, we're, we're trying to put into place. Now, I've made some mistakes in, in you know, going through all this stuff in terms of, of, ha- of handling stuff. Like when, when the Black Lives Matter move, movement started and, you know, and, and, and George Floyd was, 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 was murdered, um, I had to talk to our players, which, which, which I did. Um, but, I, but then the realization that I had to talk to the rest of the organization at the time yeah, I didn't realize that, that that part of it is what I was also dealing with. And so it took me a little bit longer to do it, but I wanted to do it right. And so I tried to research it. I reached out to a lot of folks to make sure that when I did talk, I, I had an idea of what I was talking and I was looking at it from the right perspective so that everybody could 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 understand. You know, and, and as I reached out, I I mean I reached out to to, to psychologists, uh, sports psychologists. I reached out to clergy members. I, I, I reached out to an activist. I reached out to authors of, of, of books. I, re, I reached out to a pollster. Um, and, and I wanted to make sure I, I had covered off. I reached out to some, some police officers so that I got the perspective of, of, of being able to have a good conversation. But because I reacted late, some of our, you know, our employees here were disappointed, and, and, and rightfully so. And, and I talked to them. Um, and I expressed, I expressed my, uh, my, you know, my, my apologies because – for such a serious matter, you know, it, I should have reacted quicker. So I learned and I, I got to understand uh, that part of it. But the seriousness of, of what we've had to deal with and, 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 and which, you know, that, that this is this really is, you know, something that 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 really, truly needs to be addressed. And, and while we have the momentum, we've got to continue. You know, I mean, if, if we don't, if we if we if we even just, you know, take the foot off the accelerator, we can lose the moment. And, and so. That was one of the things that, you know, in dealing with, you know, what happened with the Black Lives Matter and now what's happening with these articles, you know, we have an opportunity to make, you know, change and we have opportunity to go forward. And that's really the, the, the message that I've tried to try to instill, um, you know, to, 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 to our employees, to our players, um, you know, and, 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 and to the public is that, you know, hey, these are these are things that 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 are are part of our past. And I'm one of those that really do believe you have to study your past. You have to understand your past so you don't so you don't repeat it, that you do things the right way going forward. Speaking of that, Ron, how well did you know Dan Snyder before you interviewed for this job? 
Um, I knew him obviously because he was an owner and I had interacted with him a couple of times, but I didn't know him very well. Um, what I did was when, when he contacted me, uh, early December, I, you know, started researching him. I, I called a lot of people that worked for him in the past coaches. And I actually had a coach on my staff that worked for him. And when his, when his brother died, um, he told all, all he could tell me was just all the positive things that, that Mr. Snyder did for him. He said, Oh, wow. You know, he helped me with this, helped my family with that. I thought, wow, you know, okay, great. And then, and then, you know, I talked to Joe Gibbs and Joe Gibbs and I had this great conversation about him and he explained who he is. And he, he said, Ron, he said, when he tells you, he's going to turn it over to you. Now he, he means it. Now he's not going to get in your way. Not, you know, he said, when I was here with him, he said, he never tried to influence me on anything. He wanted me to be the coach and run the organization. And he said, that's what he's going to do to you. He's going he's to turn it over to you and tell you, go run with it, do these things for us. And, and so, and he's been true to, to form. I mean, that's that's really what I've kind of learned. But you know, you guys know my wife. Um, Stephanie was probably the most skeptical, and she really wanted to to know. And so, when I went for my first meeting with him, um, I had asked if Stephanie could come um, and 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 meet with him. You know, that first day, and and he thought about it and said, you know what, that's a great idea. So what happened was he flew me in first. Um, and, and he and I and one of his partners sat down and we talked football and organizational structure and strategy for about nine hours. In the meantime, um, his wife picked up Stephanie and they flew in and we all sat down and had this dinner that lasted for about four and a half, five hours. We spent a lot of time with, with he and Mrs. Snyder and had an opportunity to truly talk. Um, the next morning we got up, we had a, a further conversation. Then, then he and I went back into his office and we sat down and we continued to review and examine, you know, the, 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 the football team and the organization. And, and he was very candid. He was very open about those things. And it was very impressive. Um, and then, um, you know, we went back to, to, to Charlotte, Stephanie and I, and, and she looked at me. And the first thing she said is, you know, for, for, for everything I've heard about him, he's nothing like that. And the thing that really impressed him was that he looked at us and said, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes and I need to correct them because I want to win football games. And, you know, I understand you're a guy that can help. And, and one of the things that I want to change is the culture and the way things are done. And I, I, I understand you've done a great job. And, and so that's kind of where the, the, the genesis of, of, of having these conversations about culture and, and trying to rebuild a culture and do things different and find and change and, and, and turn it into a sustainable winning culture is, is, is really been, you know, my vision uh, for what we're doing, what we're trying to do here. Ron, what was she skeptical about? Well, just all the stuff she had heard is that, you know, is that, that he was arrogant, that he was, um, you know, that, that, that he was a meddler. Um, and, and he hasn't been like that. I mean, he really hasn't. I mean, all the decisions that, 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 that I've made going forward have been decisions that I've made. And um, and I've told him, you know, that that, uh, you know, I will stand up for whatever I do, right, wrong or indifferent. I'll, I'll take it. I mean, I'm not afraid of it because, you know, that's just the truth of the matter. I mean, it, it's I'm not going to shirk from my responsibilities. And he seems to appreciate that. And, and he and I talk daily. And, and what I do is just update him on the things that I've done, um, you know, and, and he really doesn't have a lot of questions. There may be something specific that comes up and I just tell him, Hey, this, the thing that I found is that if I tell him, if I tell Mr. Snyder, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is why I'm doing it. Great. Go to it, Ron. And, and that's what's, that's what's happened. I mean, you know, we got some real tough um, decisions coming up as far as, you know, our roster 
And, you know, those will be decisions that, that I will make and I will live with. You know, Ron, in doing some research, you talked about growing up um, part of your childhood in the D.C. area and loving that team name, the former yes. team name. Maryland, yeah. Um, yeah. What kind of conversation did you have with um, the owner during your meetings, during the interview process about the team name and knowing how controversial it was? Well, see, we talked about that. And, and again, as I said, I grew up a football fan. And as a kid, I, I never saw that as, as, as racist. I, I, I didn't understand the whole conversation about it. And then looking and I did my own research. You know, I, I looked at the references to Redskins and, 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 and I read that. And then um, I found this article by Ivis, uh, Ivis Goddard, who was at one time the lead linguist for the Smithsonian Institute, who had basically come out and said that 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 the term redskins originated with, with the American Indian. And it was a term that they used to describe one another. And I kept going, wow. I mean, and so then I, I, I talked to uh, um, some of our folks that, that work for the team and the organization. And we sat down and, and I went through an hour and a half lecture and presentation about it. And, and I and, you know, and then I learned that there were these polls. And I know that, you know, there, there's there's people can find polls to support whatever they want. You know, is that saying the figures lie and liars figure. And just looking at it and understanding what 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 was out there, I, I, I kept wondering, OK, who bastardized the name? OK, who turned an Indian term? Because remember, Indian people are very literal. Who turned that word into into a derogatory word? Did, did the American Indians say it? I mean, did, were they the ones that did it or, or did, did somebody else do it? You know, because it, to me, it goes back to what Malcolm X said, and that is, you know, they'll give you your little victories. OK, because to me, this is what they did. They gave them the name. OK, but when it comes to equity and, 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 and inclusion, when it comes to the big things, have, 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 have they gotten it? You see what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's what I don't understand. I mean, but I understand, you know, how people get and how people feel and people act. OK, that's fine. I get that. You know, and, and, and at the end of the day, if, if, if that's what the majority thinks and that's what's good for everybody, then fine. So be it. it this, I've really struggled with it because I was a kid. I mean, to me, there, there, there is, there, you know, and, and maybe I'm a little bit of a romantic. Maybe I'm, I'm a guy that, you know, I grew up in a different era. And, you know, in today's cancel culture where people want to, you know, they want to eliminate things and get rid of things. Let's don't let's don't forget our history. OK, because. When, whenever this country's become an isolationist country, whenever this country's looked past things, bad things have happened. Okay, and so when we're honest with ourselves and we stay true to ourselves, I think we keep we keep bad things from happening as a country. And right now we have to be honest, we have to be true, and we 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 can't deny our history. We can't deny that we as a country have made a lot of bad things happen. And now is our chance to correct these things. But let's don't pretend like it never happened. Okay, let's be honest about that. It's wrong. It's very wrong. And it has to be corrected now. And now is our opportunity. Why? Because, OK, because the water is boiling hot. Don't turn the don't turn the heat off. Just, just keep the heat on. Just in terms of the name change. Did he come to you about it yes. or did yes. you go to him about it? Nope. He came to me about it. Um, and he said, you know, Ron, with, with what's going on publicly right now, he said, I really think that now's the moment. I mean, because he and I, we felt the same way. I mean, we both grew up as Washington, you know, excuse me for using it, Washington Redskin fans. And, and, and I did because, like I told everybody, Chris Hanberger, you know, he was a linebacker. And he's one of the linebackers that I loved watching play football. 
you know, um, and, 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 and Charlie Taylor, his dad served in the military with my dad. You know, um, when I was a kid in high school, I, I, I went to a football camp with Joe Theismann was one of the guys there and, and Joe treated, treated a bunch of us great. And, and so I was always a fan of his. So, you know, we, we, there was this con- connection. Lee Charles McDaniels, who played DB for them, is a friend of mine. We grew up together. So I, I, I had a connection to it, like Mr. Snyder did. So it was it was hard. But he, he came to me. We talked about it. And he said, look, I've been talking to the league for the, uh, for about a couple of weeks about this. You know, Roger, you know, he, he and the commissioner talked. And he said, Ron, I think now is the time. He said, just with all the things that's going on. And this was before, okay, this was before the Nike stuff came up. This was before the FedEx stuff came up. Okay. His conversation with me was before all that. Okay. Just so everybody knows, I'll be very clear on that. Okay. And so we had started that conversation prior to it and then he followed it up. And I believe it was uh, July 3rd was, was the announcement that, you know, that, that there, we were looking into it. I think the 13th was when we said we were going to, we were going to make the change. And I think the 23rd or the 30th, something like that was when, when he said, okay, we're going to retire the name and logo. So I, I just think, you know, I just want to be clear on that because again, he came to me with it and he had told me he'd already been working on it. And then we talked about it and then he, you know, he had those announcements come out in that order. And, and, and why, what prompted it at that point? Because in 2013, this is the same owner who said, yeah. put it in all caps, never, yeah. we will never change the name. What do you think prompted the change? I, I think because of just, just how the circumstances were. You know, this this was one of those things that he just felt. He just felt that, you know, he, and he said to me, he said, Ron, just because of, of, of the way things are right now, the circumstances, the situation, you know, it dictates that that, that now is the time that we should be thinking uh, progressively and going forward, you know? And, yeah, it's just so interesting with this with this club and the name. You know, Jim and I both went to school in D.C., to Howard mm-hmm. University, and, you know, we, we heard the name controversy back then, and then going – you know, my father's from Hampton, Virginia, you know, about mm-hmm. three and a half hours. From, and he said he would never cheer for that team because George Preston Marshall, the previous owner, was a racist. You know, the last team see, to have, you know, to have a black player on that team. Go ahead, Ron. Yep. No, I was about to say that. See, that's something that's been real interesting for me as well. And 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 I don't know if you guys you've, you've read the book, but it's called The Real Americans, The Real All-Americans. And Sally Jenkins wrote it. And I would love to talk to her about this book, but I, I'm, I'm almost done with it. I've been reading this thing. Um, it's one of the books I got because I wanted to try and understand a little bit more. And and as I've been reading this, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a real interesting – it really is. It's a heck of a book because if you want to get a feel for things, it, it, it opens your eyes now. It's a heck of an experience. Ron, are you sure it's okay to have a book by Sally in the building? Oh, well, yeah, I, I, I get that whole thing. I, I do. But I'm telling you what, though, when, when, when you read the book, you, you, you learn a little bit more about our history. I mean, it, 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 it's interesting because – I know we talk about, you know, that that we haven't taught black history the way it needs to be taught. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, we're not teaching Native American history the way it needs to be taught after reading no. this. You know, so I again, I think there's a lot of things that 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 we have kind of ignored. And because we've ignored them, we're still we're still repeating them. You know what I'm saying? And it's like I said earlier, if, if, if you don't if you don't pay attention to history, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. And, and, you know, reading that book and, and then reading and, you know, and, and then following some of the things that have gone on, you know, like um, the Black Wall Street down in, in, uh, in Tulsa. Tulsa. I mean, yeah. that, 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 that to me is outrageous. You know, I mean, to really think about that. I mean, when was the first time most people heard that? I mean, I was fortunate enough. I heard about it about 15, 20 years ago and something I was reading. But then again, it was all brought back to light. And I'm sitting there going, wow. 
you know, nobody, people act like they've never heard of it. And guess what? They hadn't, they hadn't heard about this stuff. There's a lot wow. of history that, that we seem to gloss over that we seem to miss. And we need to start focusing in and paying attention because we, we got to stop repeating these things. Read, read in the spirit That's of crazy right. horse. That's a fantastic book. And Sally and I, I used to work at the Washington post. Sally and I used to talk about how fantastic of a, of a novel that is when it comes to native. Okay. Uh, what's, what's, it called again? what's it called? Uh, in the spirit of crazy horse, in the okay. spirit of crazy horse, I believe that's the name of it. I may be a little off on a word I'll find or it. two there. And Ron, you know, you talked about some of the things about learning history and this and that. And we see what's going on with NFL players and the shooting of, you know, Jacob Blake recently, but just this whole summer, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. What's that been like from a coaching perspective? Because we hear from the players and some of the things, you know, hey, you guys are having team meetings, you're having discussions, but you're new there. You're trying to get your arms around all this other stuff that happened before you got there. And now you have to do with your players on the daily and your defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio has put some tweets out there as well. I think that has stoked probably some feelings um, well, regarding this too. Well, you know, it's interesting because, because I will say this, the one thing about Jack is, is Jack is, 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 is truly all American. I mean, he really is a guy that believes in the American way and, and, and all he's ever done is just is, is tweet his feelings, which really, I think if you really pay attention to him, you sit there and go, okay, I can see that. But the same yeah. thing, he, he does the same thing. He say, I see that, you know, and, and, and recently, um, you know, we had a, a day for the players and, you know, and, and talking with Jack, because I go to Jack a lot because, you know, we're, we, you know, he's a former head coach as well. And we talk about these things. And he said, you know, when I said, Jack, you know, this is one of the things I think we should do. And he said, and he said yeah, I agree with you, Ron. We need to do that. And so we sat down and talked with the players and had an opportunity to let guys express themselves. And, and I'll be honest with you, it was interesting because while we were doing this, I kept noticing how a lot of the players kept looking over their shoulders because, you know, we kind of opened it up to all football. You know, football operations were there, training staff, equipment staff. The scouts were in there and the coaches. And I kept noticing guys were looking over their shoulders, but they weren't saying anything and made me realize. And so I asked everybody to leave and it was just the players and me. And it was a tremendous thing because the players opened up. Um, they challenged one another to, to, to see things, to notice things. You know, one of our black players challenged the white players to, to, to you know, to, to recognize and see things. And then one of our white players, he stood up and he said, coach, he said, no, excuse me, he said, team. He said, uh, you know, he, he and, and he was very emotional. He said, you know, you, you see that is happening and you saw it happen to other people. But when you hear, you know, because some of the guys got up and they talked about how their situations have been, how they got pulled over, how they've been, you know, spread eagle on the hood of their car or on the on the, on, on the road and being questioned for, for simply, you know, the, the for simply driving black. And he said, he said, I, I, you know, it, it's really affected me because I now know somebody who's gone through this and, and it has hit me really hard. And he apologized and said, guys, I've seen, you know, I've seen it on TV, but now that it's one of my guys, it's, it, it hit home. And so I, I think that's one of the things that we need to have is more of these candid conversations. And by really getting everybody else out there. And, and, and I was just happened to be fortunate enough to be allowed to stay. The players opened up and it was, it was, it was a tremendous thing. And, and I think it helped because a lot of our guys said, God, I didn't realize it didn't, didn't understand. And I think it's true because it's just like cancer until somebody, you know, has had it, it doesn't really you know work in your mind, but man, once, once you know somebody, it, it opens your eyes even bigger. Ron, we, we've heard players say, look, we demonstrated to raise awareness 
you know, we've sparked these uncomfortable conversations, but how do we actually make change? What's that conversation like with you and your players and how do we make actual change? I think first and foremost is by, you know, by, by, by the conversation. Now it's about the action. Okay. It's about the action. It's, 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 it's one of the things that, because for, for, for how many years have we all we done is talk about it. Okay. Then we started protesting about it. And then after we protest, what have we done? Okay. I mean, you know, things, I think things get, get obscured because we lose what the message really is. And then all of a sudden something interesting happens and we make that interesting thing important. We don't take what's important to make it important. We take what's important to make it interesting. Okay. And then it just fades away. Now we take something interesting. Everybody goes, oh my God, that's cool. That's flashy. Wow. Let's talk about that. No, let's don't talk about that. Let's, let's stay on the conversation. Okay. Let's stay where we're supposed to stay. And we don't. And, and it dissipates. It disappears. And next thing you know, we, we no longer have it. It's no longer in the news cycle. So what, what's the answer in terms of action? Well, I think first and foremost, all these people that, that, that want to talk about it, want to get involved, get involved. Vote. That's the first that's the first thing that you have to do. You should do is exercise one of your God given rights as an American citizen. And that is the right to pick and choose. OK, who's going to represent you? OK, because I struggled with the last election when, when I started hearing people. Oh, I can't believe this guy's president. Uh, well, did you vote? No. OK, then I, honestly, I don't want to hear. It. And that's the truth. That, and, and I've got those conversations with people and the people and I ask, I said, did you vote? And I hear no. Well, then I don't want to hear you complain. Truthfully, if you don't vote, you, you, you know, well, I didn't like the candidates. OK, so I get it. You don't want to choose the lesser of two evils because it's still evil. But at the same time, your inactivity, OK, allowed that to happen. OK, so again, you, you know, did you did you vote during the primaries? Did you get involved with the primaries? You want to get changed. You, you've got to you've got to just don't put your toe in the water. Just don't put your leg in the water. Jump in the water and, 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 and swim. I mean, that's really what you have to do. And, and you've got to be willing to, you, 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 you know, I, I, it's hard. I get it. it. It's time consuming. I get it. But give what you can other than just saying, well, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm against it. OK, great. You're against it. But what are you doing to, to solve it? Hey, if you don't want well, to vote in the presidential election, there's local, there's local issues you can, you can vote exactly. on. This is what's interesting. Right. Somebody, somebody told me this. Um, and and, and it's, if you really look at it, the, 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 the local elections, OK, have the worst turnout. And in the local elections, a lot of the wrong people get elected in terms of representing those people, because the majority of the people that are being represented don't vote. So they get in the, they end up being represented by people that aren't like them, that don't have the same values as them, and don't have the same needs as them. That's, I, I, and, and, and really, I wish I had the numbers. I wish I could remember the numbers, but I found that very, very interesting. You know, it's, it's something like if, if there's a hundred people, you know, only 10 people voted, and nine of those 10 people voted for this guy. Well, this guy doesn't represent the other 91 people. You see what yeah. I'm saying? And yes. so the local elections are, are, are far more impactful initially, immediately, because those are the people that represent you right now on, on the most basic things at home, in your city, in your county. A decade ago, as a coach, you would not have had to worry about any of this. And I just wonder how different is it coaching today's player in this climate than versus a decade ago 
It, it is tremendously different. You know, I, I came from it when I was, you know, I was one of those guys, you know, and Charles Barkley said it, you know, um, you know, hey, I'm not here to raise your kid. Well, I'm not here to be an activist as a player. And this is 30 years ago when I was a player. Man, you didn't make political statements. You, you didn't. You, you didn't step up and, and get involved with, with societal issues. You might help with charity and fundraisings, but you never did that. You never got up and said, oh, this is my platform and I'm going to use it. And so I, as a, as a coach, I was always the same way, too. I didn't want to. And then when I started in Carolina, I kind of avoided that. I, I, you know, I, I kind of tried to say, well, you know, we'll deal with this. We'll deal with this. And then... I worked, uh, we went out and we brought Eric Reed in. And, and I, I told Marty Herney, the general manager at the time, he said, look, he's the best safety available. I want to bring him in because I really think he's the best safety and he can help us. But I only want to talk to him about football. Okay. And that was still me wanting to keep politics out of football. So we did. We brought him in. We only talked about football. I told him I just wanted to talk about football. It was a great conversation. But I said, afterwards, I do want to talk to you. So we get done. And then like the next day, I think it was after his first day of practice, I saw him and I said, hey, you got a second? I'd love to talk. So we started to talk. At the time, I had already just reread the Constitution and, and the Bill of Rights and the, and the amendments and the oath of office. And he and I started talking. Here, here's an interesting thing about Eric, too. I don't know if everybody knows this, but did you know his mother served in the Army? Yes. You know that? His uncles, his cousins all served. He comes from a military family. And a lot of people don't realize it. And so that's why his kneeling has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's, it's, and, 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 and he and I had that great conversation and it really opened my eyes and made me realize that, you know, I'm being a hypocrite. Here I am talking about, you know, reading the Constitution and understanding the First Amendment, Second Amendment, you know, because believe me, I'm, I, 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 I love the Second Amendment. I think it's, it's, it's a good amendment. But, you know, there's that always that but with the Second Amendment that, you know, some of these things that are out there need to be corrected and taken care of. You know, but because people do have the right. But, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about all the high powered rifle stuff and everything like that. But anyways, so he and I talked and, and just after my conversation with him, it was it was tremendous. And it really opened my eyes to make me realize that, you know what, the whole approach is wrong that I had, I had in my mind. The truth of the matter is it's it, it's our decision. It's our freedom. It's our right. And I should be supportive of the fact that he is, you know, he has, he has afforded this because it's a God-given right that he chooses to do that. And so I support him, just like I would support anybody that sits there and, and starts talking about the Second Amendment. But I'm going to say this. If you believe in the First Amendment, you should agree. You should believe in the Second Amendment. And if you agree in the Second Amendment, you should agree in the First Amendment. Because, again, those are, those are, those are our rights. And, and, and ever since my conversation with Eric, I, I really have to admit, you know, it, it helped me. It helped me to learn and realize that I, I can no longer sit back and just say, well, we can't do this or well, we can't do that. No, we're, we're, we should do that because the oath of office is, says uh, uh, protect, uh, what is it? It's, 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 it's protect, preserve, preserve and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. Well, the First Amendment, guys, the Second Amendment. We got to preserve, protect, and defend those because because that's what makes us different. And it, 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 I'm, I'm telling you, and it's funny because I heard people, a lot of people, some people have even criticized the commissioner for saying, "Well, I was wrong. I didn't pay attention to what Colin was trying to get across." No, the commissioner did exactly what I did. My assumption was wrong because I really didn't understand. But once I realized it, recognized it, man, I, I thought, "Wow, that's amazing." 
and it was it was it was a good little learning lesson for me. It was a good little education, and 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 I really do appreciate appreciate who Eric Reed is, uh, and who he's been for me in, in in you know in my career as a coach. Well, we you know I'd love to continue this conversation. We're getting the wrap from the club, but I do want to ask you okay. two quick football questions. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, you named him your starter. Yeah. Why? And and also, can we expect to see Alex Smith on the active fifty three? Well, I, I'll tell you right now, anything's possible as far as Alex is concerned. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that we still have to work through. Um, he's done some really good things, but there's still some things that we have to sit down and talk about as, as an organization. Um, and and I'm, I would never rule it out as far as Alex is concerned because of who he is as a man uh, and, and as a competitor. Um, you know, I decided to go ahead and name Dwayne the starter for a couple of reasons. One is without playing preseason games, th- it would have been very difficult to create the right kind of atmosphere for, 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 for Dwayne to compete uh, primarily with Kyle Allen. You know, I know who Kyle is. Uh, I, I know Kyle is capable. Um, when he was my quarterback, um, I, I think we were, um, I think we were six and four or something like that with him as my quarterback. Um, and I, I have no issues with him. I think he's a good young quarterback that's only going to grow and get better. But because there's no way to really truly compete, treat, create that competitive uh, atmosphere, what I decided about three weeks ago is that I was going to make sure that Dwayne was getting all the primary reps with the ones. And that's what we did. And, and, and as he continued to do the things that he, I challenged him back in January. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I did in, 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 in preparing for this job was I studied Dwayne. I watched the games that he started. I watched when he played, when the game plan was for his skill set. I really saw a lot of things that I liked, but there are also some things I felt he had to improve on. So I challenged him to do that back in January. And first thing he did was he transformed who he is, uh, not just an athlete, uh, but he transformed his body physically and his, and, and his mentality. And then you watch his progression and growth during camp. You know, you learn. Uh, I learned a lot about who he is in terms of his competitive spirit and, and wanting to be right and wanting to do good. Um, and just really watched him and watched the young man progress and grow. And it, that, that to me was exciting. And it, it just showed me that he wants to be the guy. And so I thought making the announcement today, when we, today was, was uh, the next three days or today, Thursday and Friday are mock days in terms of we're doing everything the way we would do it in the regular season, except we're still, you know, doing our regular practices. But I wanted to kind of give everybody that show right now that this is our guy. This is the guy that I'm supporting 100%. I'm backing him. I want to give him every opportunity to be our quarterback and to, and help him succeed. And I wanted to do that now so we could start building towards next week. Great. Well, Ron, we appreciate the time, the candor. You know, Jim and I have the utmost respect for you. And you're the first coach, first guest on the Hudland Flow podcast. And, and I don't think we could be more honored to, to have you uh, be the guy, like I said earlier on, cracking the bottle of champagne. Well, I appreciate I really do appreciate you guys. And I do pay attention to things that you guys say and write, because I think um, you guys are coming from from you know the right angle. And that's the truth. So thank you guys for what you do. No, we Thanks, thank Ron. you, Ron. Thanks, guys. You know, Steve, the thing I took most out of that interview was the amount of power that Ron Rivera now has in terms of running that organization and trying to change the culture, all those sorts of things. But I have to be honest with you and say, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if this is a long-term marriage. From the standpoint, if these allegations against Daniel Snyder are true, and from what I understand, there could be more coming, 
um, there is the chance that he could be forced to sell. He could be forced to sell his club, and if that happens, and a new owner comes in, is he going to want his own guy, or is he going to want to stick with Ron and what Ron is trying to do there? So for me, with that organization, it is it, it is a club to watch not only this year but next year because there simply is too much happening there right now. And it's interesting for me for a head coach to take on all of those responsibilities in addition to trying to win football games and run a club. Um, if there's one man I think who's suited for the job, it's Ron. But that is a major ask of a head coach at this point. Yeah, you know, listen, Jim, I think back when I was covering the Falcons in 07, and they went out and they hired Bobby Petrino to coach Michael Vick. And then all of a sudden, here comes this dogfighting investigation. So everything, every reason that Bobby Petrino came to that organization went up in smoke. And all of a sudden, he's answering questions and arguably one of the biggest, oh my gosh, I mean, cases, disturbances, criminal issues we've had in the NFL. And, and he's answering questions every day from a different news outlet, CNN, Entertainment Tonight. And it was so distracting for the players everybody else um the one good thing that ron has is he's got players who can come in and play i mean they had to, the, the falcons had to scramble and go get a quarterback i mean they started joey harrington most of the year and it just bobby petrino ended up just walking away with three games left so that's kind of the the scenario how it could lay out like how, how you were talking about. i was really taken about aback by the fact that you know how his he said his wife was really skeptical about Daniel Snyder just from some of the things that she had heard in the football circles and, and reading reports and whatnot. But they put the sell on. They made her feel comfortable about Ron taking this job. And as we know, Jim, Ron had some other opportunities, um, but he decided to stay in D.C. And on the issue of D.C., that is where our alma mater, Howard University, is. I know we're talking a lot about Howard. But one thing Jim and I are going to try to do here on the Huddle and Flow podcast is make people recognize the importance of historically black colleges and universities to the NFL and to American history. And as we know, Jim, you're a Hall of Fame selector. If you're including the class of 2020, there are now 33 players in the Pro Football Hall of Fame who attended historically black colleges and universities, players like Walter Payton from Jackson State, Jerry Rice from Mississippi Valley, Michael Strahan. And what's interesting is back when a lot of those guys played, that was the only option for them to go to school. Now that's not the case. And Jim, this year there was only one player from an HBCU drafted. His name was Lacavia Simmons. The Bears drafted him. They cut him. Also, the black college player of the year, Chris Rowland, who – was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Falcons, wide receiver. He was cut. Now, both of them were resigned to their respective practice squads. But, I mean, I, you know, to say this is kind of a potentially disturbing trend because most of these black schools are not playing again this year, so there's not going to be film on the guys who didn't get scouted last year, um, is a little unnerving. But when you look at some of the guys who got shot, Simmons and Roland and a couple other players, Jim, how much do you think not having preseason games hurt them? Oh, I think it was huge, Steve. I, I mean, typically that's where undrafted guys and late round picks uh, make their way with clubs. As you know, starters rarely play anymore in the preseason. So it's those guys who are on the back end of the roster who get opportunities to go out and showcase their abilities. Not having those games was critical, I think, to to these players not making rosters. Um, 
The other thing that really is difficult this year is the fact that, as you know, Steve, the league was going to have a combine for HBCU players, and that did not happen because of COVID-19. And so even more players who could have gotten exposure and potentially been signed to a club and maybe somehow made a name for themselves in training camp did not get that opportunity. So for me, um, I think this is one of the effects that we saw or or we predicted would happen because of COVID-19 that undrafted guys or late round guys were going to have to very were going to have a very difficult time making rosters this year. Yeah, I remember no no players invited to the senior bowl from HBCUs, only one invited to the regular draft combine. Hopefully there is some more exposure for these guys this year because it's not just the HBCUs that aren't playing. A lot of schools aren't playing. They have to find ways to scout it. Real quick, just an By update. By the way, let's give let's on- give let's give one shout out here to a guy who had a lot to do with HBCU players making it to the NFL, and that's the late Bill Nunn, who was selected as the contributor finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2021. So all he needs is 80% of the votes from the 48 voters, and he will be inducted into the Hall of Fame and will become, could become, the first person of color inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a contributor. So... His, his time is long overdue. He was a tremendous scout and personnel uh, executive with the Steelers, helped bring in many of the black college players who were central to that dynasty in the 70s. And it's nice that he's finally on the cusp of getting his due. Yeah, look, he brought in guys like Donnie Shell, Mel Blunt, uh, and Jim, you and Jared Bell, two of, the, two of the few black Hall of Fame selectors, are instrumental in finally getting Bill Nunn his just due. Also, some HBCU players to keep an eye out for. Opening weekend, Darius Leonard, the inside linebacker, the monster for the Indianapolis Colts. Tariq Cohen, the NCANT Aggie, the running back for the Bears, who is quite mistaken on who has the best homecoming of HBCU. He's trying to tell us, me and Jim, some business about Jiho. Next. And then Eagles defensive tackle, Javon Hargrave, another another HBCU player. He came over from the Steelers. Uh, He's been nursing a a sore peck. We don't know if he's going to be um, on the field this week, so best of luck to him. Again, we are going to amplify and highlight some HBCU folks. And, Jim, one more we cannot forget, and it's super important, is the Chargers quarterback coach, Pep Hamilton. Pep is, um, man, how do you put this in the words? He's just so so calm, so smart, so talented. Um, and I think he's going to have a tremendous impact on the Chargers this year with their first-round pick, quarterback Justin Herbert. So uh, no question, uh, looking forward to seeing what Pep will do this year with the Chargers. By the way, where do you go to school? You know. Yes. Howard he is a fellow Bison. University. The Mecca. Sorry for jamming it down your throat, but if any people know anybody from Howard, that's what we do. That's how we get down. But you, you know what, Steve, people always say, I, I hear the, the saying that, that Howard alums are insufferable. You know, they're always talking about their school and this, that and the other. And I always come back to this. Isn't that how everyone should feel about their university? The so, envy is real, Jim. The envy you know, is real. So why hold that against us when <laughs> everyone should feel that way about wherever they graduated from? And if you don't, that's not on us. You know, oh you my know? God, I cannot wait. 
you know, I cannot wait to be good to Cohen and Darius Leonard on this podcast because they were talking so much foolishness. Uh, we had them on the air on NFL Network this summer. Later for that. Jim, another important thing heading into the season, uh, some of the off the field issues. We know it's, it's been a summer of protests. It's been a summer of players standing up and this and that. We know week one, uh, players are going to wear something on the back of their helmet that may recognize somebody who was slain in, in the fight for civil rights or an issue that is important to them. Um, there can be a lot of encouraging messages to get out and vote, but just just something about that, that that you would like to share. You know, for me, I'm just so proud of the players when you see these young men finding their voice and realizing the power that they do have to try and make real change in this society. You know, I think for too long, um, they were viewed as simply football players and not as actual human beings and, and individuals um, who are affected by the things that go on in our community. So I'm, I'm, I couldn't be prouder of them, you know, of, of, of what they're doing and, and how they're fighting. Because the thing is, they are not just throwing money at a cause or throwing their name behind something. They are actually getting out in these communities and doing work for positive change. For instance, there's one team that's going to announce something, you know, later in the week. And one of one of their players told me, he said, we made a point of saying that we not only want to partner with you now, but we have to be able to partner with you going forward so that we can use our platforms, our name and our energy to try and make change. And, and that's huge. And I think that's one of the reasons that even now when people say, well, players boycott a game. And I don't think they will, because I think these players now feel like they have a true partner in the NFL who is standing behind them or alongside them in this fight for so social change. And again, Steve, I, I just I couldn't be prouder of these players for standing up and showing that there are things that are more important than football, as important as football is to them, um, using their voice and their platforms to make positive change. Absolutely, Jim. And that, that was going to be my take. I mean, you know, the one thing this summer that we've seen is with this pandemic is the digital divide, right? So now a lot of kids are not going to school in their classrooms. They're having to do it virtually. There are thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people in this country from Appalachia to the inner cities to the suburbs who don't have laptops, who don't have Wi-Fi. And there are several teams who are buying laptops, who are working with school districts to get Wi-Fi hotspots in the homes of these kids so they can, they can go to class. They can at least have an opportunity educationally to get as close to equal footing about learning the basics, whether it's about arithmetic and math and whether it's about history, which hopefully some of the curriculum can change, where some of these students can read about what's going on with black Americans and Native Americans and Asian Americans and Polynesians. Um, so they can be more empathetic to some of the causes that some of these players are working for. So salute to the players. I mean, we just, Jim and I, we, we, we talk about them all the time. We try to amplify the work they've done. People may hate them for, for raising a fist or taking a knee or whatever, but you know what? They are making a change with their dollars and with their effort and addressing things like the digital divide.
All right, Jim, before we get out of here, let's talk a little football. We're not going to do your standard who's going to be in the Super Bowl, who's going to be the rookie of the year, but we're going to dig deep because that's we're two deep brothers right here. Uh-oh. Um, so here we go. All right, so the offseason acquisition a team made that you think is going to make the biggest difference, and I'm just going to throw this out there because everyone's going to say, oh, Tom Brady to the Buccaneers. That's scratch and sniff, man. You know, if it looks like the GOAT, it is the GOAT. Yeah. Well, look, Steve, for me, we know what? It's a quarterback-driven league. And so if there's one player, I think, who is going to have the biggest impact on his team, I'm going to say it is Cam Newton with the Patriots. You know, they always say you never want to be the guy that follows the guy. And Cam Newton, and I say this respectfully, is just athletically arrogant enough not to be afraid of that challenge. And I think he's had essentially two years to get healthy. Um, and playing under a coordinator like Josh McDaniels, who is flexible in his game preparation and his, his, his play calling, uh, I think Cam's going to do extremely well in New England. And everyone who has written that team off as the run finally being over might feel a little silly when the end of the year rolls around. Anybody coming back from injury? I'm going to say Jarek McKinnon. Whoa. And no question. Look, the 49ers offense was was one of the league's best last year. You know, second in scoring, first in rushing touchdowns, all those sorts of things. And now they bring in a guy who two years ago when the 49ers signed him as a free agent from Minnesota, that was one of their big signings that Kyle Shanahan wanted because of all the things that Jarek McKinnon could do in the passing game, particularly in third down situations, whether out of the backfield or out in the slot. And he hasn't played for two years because of an AC, a torn ACL and then an infection that developed the following year in training camp. And by all accounts, everyone I've talked to in San Francisco, they have told me that he has been the talk of camp. And in talking to Jarek and his trainer, you hear just how hungry he is. I think when you put elite talent with an elite play designer and play caller, you get something special. And I think Jarek McKinnon is going to be that guy for San Francisco. Oh, my God, Jim. If that happens, man, people are going to flip out because they've already got a track team in the backfield. Now they get Trent yes, Williams sir. at left tackle. See, no one's talking about Trent Williams. And I was going to go right. with Trent Williams on this, but, I, but I've got somebody better. But, oh, my God, man, if Jet McKinnon comes back with – with that team? Oh, my yeah. God. Okay, so here's here's where I'm going to go. Um, and it's a two-part. I'm going to say Yannick Ngakwe going to the Vikings. I mean, first off, people can talk about the 37 and a half sacks he's had in four seasons in Jacksonville. He would he probably could have had 45 to 50. But, you know, the one thing people don't recognize that much about Ngakwe is he is the king of the strip. Not necessarily the strip sack, but the strip. He's got 14 forced fumbles. He's like John Abraham back in the day. Abe could have been a lot closer to the sack record, but he punched the ball out. And that's what Ngakwe does. So now he's got Daniil Hunter on the other side, and he's got Mike Zimmer scheming the defense. Zim can scheme a guy. And so with those two on the outside and Ngakwe, Jim, you you and I both know him. I don't know if he's ever smiled to you, such an intense human being. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think he is just going to be a nightmare for well, both teams. He, and that Vikings defense is going to be good. He has to be because that secondary is young and untested on the corners. So uh, there's a reason Minnesota went out and made this trade because they know they have to get after the quarterback to protect 
those young guys on the outside. Zim's always saying he can coach a cover two corner. He's going to be put to the test right now. Now here's something Jim and I are going to try to do all season long as well. And that's to amplify coordinators, assistant coaches you may not know about because we're tired of hearing owners and general managers say they don't know about a certain player, even though they can tell you what color shoes he wore with his tux to the prom for the players that they're getting ready to draft. They somehow don't seem to find these assistant coaches who may not look like them. So, Jim, what assistant coach or coordinator who changed teams could make a huge impact for his new team? Well, I'm going to give you one that not only changed teams, but changed leagues. And that's I'm going back to Pep Hamilton, who I mentioned earlier. He came over from the XFL. You go back and you look at Pep's track record. Andrew Luck, when he was playing, had his best seasons when Pep was his offensive coordinator with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I think he is going to do wonders with Justin Herbert, with the L.A. Chargers, in terms of developing a young quarterback. Pep has that, that personality that he can get after you when he needs to, but he can also be comforting and nurturing when it's needed. Um, he really gets to know his players beyond just the physical ability that they have. So for me, look, for the Chargers to take the step long-term that they want, we all know when you draft a quarterback high in the first round, at some point he's going to play. I don't know when that moment is going to be for Justin Herbert, but I do know that when that time comes, Pep Hamilton, excuse me, as quarterback's coach, will have him ready to go. And we know Pep probably won't get the credit he deserves, but he will be getting it on the Huddle and Flow podcast. Once again, I'm going to the defensive side of the ball, and this is a guy – who has deserved recognition for years, and that's Joe Witt, who's the new Falcons secondary coach. He comes over from Cleveland. He was a longtime cornerbacks coach in Green Bay. He took players, undrafted guys like Sam Shields and Tremont Williams, and made them into Pro Bowl-type players. Charles Woodson, who played for him, said the best DB coach that he has ever had. So now he's got a first-rounder in A.J. Terrell, right? He's got Isaiah Oliver. He's got Keanu Neal. He's got players in that secondary. And working with Raheem Morris... I'm telling you right now, man, that defense is going to be a lot better than people think if they stay healthy. So on that note, Jim, the team no one's talking about that's going to make the playoffs. Well, here's my thing, Steve. Um, When we say no one is talking about it, it depends on what part of the country you live in. So I'm going to say the team that I'm not hearing enough about is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because last year, with Roethlisberger only playing six quarters, That team was still in a position to make the playoffs, did not have a losing season. And the defense with some young players really matured last year. So now you bring those players back and you have a healthy and motivated Roethlisberger in that offense. I'm not going to tip my hand just yet, but I see a deep playoff run for the Steelers if they stay healthy. Yeah, it it could happen. And and I'm going to go to the NFC and I think it's the Falcons. I mean, everyone's talking about the Buccaneers and the Saints, but the Falcons have so much talent on offense. They've got a very solid offensive line. We know Julio, Calvin Ridley. I was talking to Dan Quinn last week. He said Calvin Ridley is next level. He came into camp ready to go. And you heard me talk about how that defense is going to be better. Pass rush is the issue. They went out and they signed Dante Fowler from the Rams. They said he's had a great camp, but can he do it consistently in that division where you got two quarterbacks and Breeze and Brady who get that ball out of their hands? Uh, absolutely, you know, within one, two, three seconds. So 
that'll be the issue. Okay, last one. Let's get through here quickly. The under-the-radar player that's going to blow up this season. I think I gave it away with McKinnon um, in San Francisco. I did. I gave it away with McKinnon in San Francisco. But I'm going to give you another guy who I think – it's hard to call him under the radar, but I think he's going to have a tremendous impact with his club, and that's Emmanuel Sanders in New Orleans. When you talk, Mike Thomas has been searching, and the Saints have been searching for that compliment to Mike Thomas on the outside. And when you look at what Sanders was able to do when he came into San Francisco midway through last season, I think he's that perfect veteran, that perfect compliment for Mike Thomas, and I believe that he is going to have a um, help that offense go to an even higher level. Yeah, it doesn't have a bad play schemer to have somebody in the slot he could do or think about Marcus Colston with a, with a little bit more speed working out of the slot. Jim, I'm going to go up to the Niners, and that's Dre Greenlaw, the linebacker who doesn't <laughs> get talked about. We know how good Fred Warner is. We know how good right. Quan Alexander is. Dre Greenlaw made the play of the year in the regular season last yes, year he when, he ta- when he tackled Jacob Hollister, the Seahawks, on like the one-inch line in that final game. Because the 49ers lose that game, they're the fifth seed, and the yes, Saints sir. are the top seed. So he is a, he is a big-time hitter. He got his opportunity when Con Alexander went down. They play, they play three linebackers a lot because all those linebackers can run. So when they go nickel, it's not necessarily two linebackers. Dre Greenlaw, the second-year player out of Arkansas, is a name people are going to start hearing a lot more about. All right, Jim, we're getting ready to wrap this up. Um, I want to give a big shout out to our girl MJ Acosta, the new host of Total Access after almost two decades at NFL Network. Jim, they finally hire a woman of color to host a show. So shout out to MJ. She's going to do her Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Extremely talented, hardworking, very deserving. So couldn't be happier for her. Very deserving. And she's going to prove it to all the people uh, who may have any type of doubt. Because she is, she is the real deal. So for Jim Trotter, Thomas Warren, and Arjuna, Ram Gopal, I nailed it, Arjuna. This is the, the debut episode of Huddle and Flow, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.